0: And while a pregnancy might have been difficult on a 10-year-old body, a woman's body is designed to carry life. That is a bio-life. Well, um, big week coming up. I'm fucking exhausted from Get Out the Vote. Yeah. I mean, we're we're really hitting hitting the ground hard.
1: If you don't know, Kelly and her organization have been getting the fuck out of the vote in Kentucky, right? <laughs> Just Kentucky,
0: we, right? We, yes, just Kentucky. We have actually hit almost 40,000 voters in all 40 counties uh, in Appalachia. So we're we're running one of the biggest direct uh, voter contact campaigns in the state of Kentucky.
1: That's incredible and extremely important because, as we talked about last week, Andy Bashir, who I really like, is on the ballot. Callie cannot take an official position on this because she works for a nonprofit, so just keep that in mind, <laughs> but... Uh, getting out the vote is important, and you've made how many contacts was it?
0: Almost forty thousand.
1: That is a shit ton. Yeah, yeah,
0: and it's, to 40, yeah and it's eighteen to forty. Yeah, and it's eighteen to forty-year-old voters too.
1: And in rural counties, right, or rural areas? Yeah,
0: in rural, all designated rural in all forty Appalachian counties in Kentucky.
1: So listen up, folks. She's not just hitting up people in Louisville and Lexington. I don't know if yeah. that's really concerning. no.
0: No people were contacted from Louisville and Lexington in our campaign, that's
1: right? I mean, they still need to be contacted, to be clear. But
0: I'm sure one of our partner organizations did. They
1: did. I'm sh- I'm positive. Ask Robert Connie. I'm sure he's got the data on it, 100%. I'm sure. I, and he will tell you all of it, because he, he knows literally everything there is to know about the Commonwealth of Kentucky politics.
0: Yes, but there's also, and it's, it's a, a huge election happening in Ohio. Yes. And as excited as I am about Kentucky, I really feel like, Ohio, woo! you guys need to put your thinking caps on when you go to the polls this year.
1: You shouldn't have to, but you will (laughs) a little bit. We'll get into why. First of all, I want to just kind of lay the context for this. This is an off year. We call it an off year because it's not a presidential election year or a congressional midterm year. So the turnout is typically pretty low. But these are not only are they extremely important issues for people's freedom, but they're very big, important litmus tests for just getting out the vote in Ohio in 2024 and how yeah. like, investing in, in voting infrastructure and progressive infrastructure could change with the results of this. So, Callie, we, there are two ballot issues that we're focusing on in Ohio. And if you don't live in Ohio, still listen, because this could be coming down the pike in your state, and these are yep. just really important issues. And they will impact you even if you don't live in Ohio. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the first one.
0: Yeah, so the, the first issue, issue one, is about abortion. If that sounds familiar, you are correct. We talked about another issue one just a few months ago where you needed to vote no. This was when they were trying to take away abortion rights and voters needed to vote no, called issue one. I am telling you right now, this is a different issue one and you need to vote yes on it. So let me just read you democracy Chuck. is
1: so fucking stupid. sometimes. I know.
0: Right. Let me let me just read you this from canvassers from the New York Times. So um, there this is the New York Times following around these people talking about issue one. Mrs. Woodward said she favors abortion rights and affirmed her support. But as the canvassers moved through the hall, she realized she was not sure how to actually mark her, bo- her vote. I think it's a yes, she said. Maybe it's a no. And so these oh canvassers have a God. really, yeah, they have a really tough job ahead. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of a more obscure constitutional rule that would have outlawed abortion this initiative would enshrine access to abortion contraception and other reproductive choices in the state's constitution yes so vote yes
1: <laughs> and just to be clear this is this this all is no accident all right it's not they, these are this is an intentional thing people parties often do with ballot initiatives because they the language is often really long it's wordy it's like legalese and it gets to be confusing and when they want an intention if they want a particular result or want a, one result to fail, perhaps, such in this case, then the those people of bad faith will try to do things like this in order to orchestrate the result that they want. And it's awful. And so in yeah. this case, though, th- this the language is honestly probably about as clear as it can get. This is issue one on Ohio's ballot this this November. Two days. Honestly, when this comes out, it will only be a couple of days away. So I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the the article would be an article to amend Ohio's constitution called the Right to Reproductive Freedom with Protections for Health and Safety. And it would state that every individual has a right to make and carry out one's own reproductive decisions, including but not limited to decisions on contraception, fertility treatment, continuing one's own pregnancy, miscarriage, care, and abortion. I'm not going to go into the rest of it because there's more, like nuance to it but that is the important part because this is not only abortion we should actually say that it's not it it guarantees your 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 ability to have miscarriage care which yeah you should not need an amendment to a fucking constitution right. for that uh fertility treatment contraception none of those should you should just be able to go fucking get them but uh, yeah. uh this is the world that we live in now
0: yeah
1: i it's infuriating that it has come to this point i i yeah hopeful though because this issue uh yeah it it, (laughs) i had all these notes down here i just didn't realize it um this is like this is so important for a number of reasons but it like ohio can ensure their right to an abortion
0: yeah next tuesday
1: that's that's what you take away from this vote yes if you want a right to abortion in ohio and contraception
0: yeah one of the one of the things that I think this also illustrates um and that we harp on every episode is the complexity of voters. Abortion rights have been on the ballot in a lot of states. Um Kentucky, Kansas, Kansas yeah. a lot of states that are considered conservative. Um, and there are a whole lot of people with ours next to their name who will be casting their votes in the affirmative on issue one on on this one. Absolutely. And um, I think that's really important to note here because that's why ballot initiatives are so important. It's why they tell us so much Um They they really can tell you the exact temperature of the water of the voting, the voting pool that you have in front of you. This is going to be extremely important in determining what priorities are next year. Um, Ohio is, you know, getting redder and redder, but it it is a really important state. uh, It's a battleground state. So this to me is the most interesting piece of this is I want to see the breakdown of who is who who's voting are in other areas but voting yes on this
1: yeah and to your point the last time I looked at a couple of polls there hasn't been very many that come out but I think there was like a 64% in favor of issue one and a 64% in favor of issue two which we're going to get to in a minute that's A lot of people in a state like Ohio, and it's very abundantly clear that that is not aligned with party because you do not have a 65% Democratic majority in Ohio. Uh, You mentioned, though, that this is important for races next year, and not to get too politically wonky, but I do think this is an important point. The sad reality of politics is that money is required to play the game, especially at the federal level. And we have a great senator in Ohio, Senator Sherrod Brown, who's up for re-election next year. He it has won Ohio several times, but this is probably going to be his toughest race ever because during a presidential election year. The results of this ballot initiative could very well dictate how much money is going to go into this race. Uh, yeah. Tim Ryan didn't get a whole lot of money going into his race, and that, that cost him, I think. Sherrod Brown needs a lot of money. He needs a lot of help, and he can win if he has that help. And seeing this, donors are shitty. Let's just be real here um yeah. <laughs> and packs have to make strategic decisions every time so if this is if if issue one passes especially if it passes with a really strong margin that's gonna give a lot of people confidence that they should put money into Ohio that may not yeah. make you feel all good and cuddly inside I'm sorry politics shouldn't because it's just it's a shitty cutthroat game but this is the reality yeah. of the situation so that's I mean that's another reason why this is so important beyond the obvious reasons
0: Absolutely. Let's get to issue two, because I think that what you were saying just then applies so, so much in that case. Yes.
1: Uh, This is something that I think, uh, again, I wish I would have talked about more, is not been covered quite as much as issue one, but hugely important, weed is on the ballot as well, abortion and weed. Issue two involves legalizing marijuana. Yes, vote would legalize recreational marijuana for adults 21 years and older. This includes cultivation, sale, possession, and usage by adults in Ohio. So what you want to do if you listen to this show is vote yes on both of these. This is a big deal. I mean, can you imagine having recreational marijuana in Ohio?
0: It would be huge. It would be amazing. It would make Ohio so much better. I mean, you could
1: drive <laughs> an would, hour. It would every state
0: so much better, right? It would make every single state so much better. It means when
1: I go home to Parkersburg, I can just hop across the bridge to Belbury. Yeah, get some stuff. Big Deal. It
0: makes makes it makes access so much easier. Yeah. Yes,
1: and okay, so and this is actually, um, I, I think the arguments that are being made in favor of this are really, really smart. So, and this is something I think John Fetterman has hit on too, with Pennsylvania having just their money taken by places like New Jersey and New York. So, uh, I love the name of this organization that's supporting this this uh, about initiative. It's the Co- Coalition to Regulate Marijuana Like Alcohol. That's literally what it's called.
0: <laughs> Tell me, is yeah? I mean, that's all you. That's all you need to know about them. Yeah. It's so straightforward. Love it.
1: Yeah, their spokesperson Tom Heron, I think laid this issue out perfectly. He said, "Issue two is not about whether people should or should not use marijuana." They're using it right now in Ohio. They're just either buying it from drug dealers or buying it from dispensaries up in Michigan. We want to make sure that tax revenue generated from these sales isn't going to that, that state up north. So if you're a Buckeye fan, I want you to focus on that statement right there. And just I assume mean, that the University of Michigan is getting a ton of your money
0: right now. Yeah, this is like no poker face. Tell me exactly how you feel, like energy, and I love it.
1: Yes, I'm for it a thousand percent. And I think that campaigns should be run like this. We don't need blunt. We don't. We don't need like all this bullshit. You know, bloody, bloody, blah. We need blunt statements like this. Regulate it like alcohol. Bring in the tax dollars. We here. need
0: blunts.
1: Blunt, blunt. Yes, you're correct. <laughs> Nailed it. Be blunt for Boom. blunts. So I I hope that people who are listening to this from Ohio get the hell out and vote. I wish that I'd lived in Ohio in this instance so that I could, but I do not.
0: Go vote.
1: Go fucking vote. So you can get an abortion and smoke weed legally. There you go. Well, okay, then. Uh, We've got a lot coming up here. We want to talk really briefly about our Patreon we, uh, we run a Patreon, patreon.com. You can subscribe for as little as a dollar a month. You can get access to bonus exclusives. We, we have been a little off at of doing them weekly, but we're trying to get back on that game. But we are also doing a special exclusive series on Bloody Harlan, the Cold Wars in Harlan County, which will be coming up very soon. I think we're going to be recording it in the next week or so. Very exciting stuff. You can join and get access to that as well as a bunch of other stuff, including um, some merch. We're actually sending out merch to all of our members, uh, I think, next week. They came in the mail yesterday. I haven't had a chance to look at them yet, but I'm pretty pumped, and I think they are too, so looking forward to that.
0: Who's pr- You think that the stickers yeah. are pretty pumped?
1: No, the members of our
0: Patreon. Oh. <laughs>
1: the stickers are they are real excited. I already asked them. I'm so sorry. It's been a long week.
0: I get it. It has, it has. Um, yeah, I I recorded a spooky story um, that's on there for Halloween. If you are still trying to feel the spirit uh, of Halloween, you can join and get access to that. Uh, and we're probably going to be doing a fun holiday live hangout um, in the next month or so. Yeah, probably we love- December, I think yeah we love seeing you guys um and and uh the last the last thing we had was so much fun um we wanted to get another one on the calendar pretty soon
1: yeah it was a blast and and there's always an abundance of animals that are showing up there we, we've we had possums we've had dogs we've had rabbits i think we had a raccoon once it was all it's kinds been a of good cats. time yeah so many cats flush with cats mm-hmm. so check that out and um before we get into our interview we got to do oh, it. Boy. We got to do it. All right. Don't fast forward because this is an ad. We do ads like you will never hear before. Yeah. Not this formulated bullshit. We put effort, we put time into them. Sometimes they're they're funny. Sometimes they're a little bit of a stretch. This one's going to be a little bit of a stretch this oh, time around. No. <laughs> so we write, one of us writes the ad, the other reads it. They have not seen it yet. I wrote it this week. I I take big risks because I'm big risk, big reward kind of guy here. All right. I took a big risk on this one. Okay. All right. Last time I wrote one, I I did it to uh, Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven. Right. This one I I adapted um uh, uh The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost.
0: Oh my god.
1: It is not good. I'm gonna just say that right now. But it is something, and hopefully it will be mildly entertaining to people, and maybe encourage them to get red rooster coffee I will, so that I I'll will, shut up.
0: I will throw my whole self into it. Oh boy!
1: Read in your best poetry kind of not beatnik, but summon sort of a i don 't know Robert frostiness to it
0: i don't know what that means
1: <laughs> open to interpretation i don't know what it means either
0: all right um I'm, I'm 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 adjusting my posture, and i'll be yeah two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry, I could not travel both. And the one, a rooster, there he stood and looked up at me and where I stood. I noticed you yawning, he quoth.
1: I did make up words sometimes. Just
0: <laughs> I really wished I had some pot. <laughs> you look awfully confused, he claimed. Because you're a fucking talking Brewster, aloud I thought. He replied, want to see something hot? I cringed, he was about to show me something untamed. But then he produced a <laughs> cup of Joe, so delicious, ro- a delicious roast, even when you drink it black. So you, li- so you like this delicious stuff or what, he spake, and uttered a sound of joy that wasn't fake. I- a different coffee, I'll never go back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood and I, I took the one with a goddamn talking rooster who gave me quite possibly the best cup of coffee that I that ever graced my lips. So use code Dolly, D-O-L-L-Y for free shipping on your order at redroostercoffee.com.
1: Really tied that last one into that sonnet there. It was a bit of a stretch.
0: (laughs) I love it. I love it.
1: Thank you. Thank you. We try to be original here, so use that code. Get uh, free shipping on your order. It's delicious coffee. You'll be supporting a great business in Floyd, Virginia. That's Appalachian, Virginia. Check them out. And uh, support them, because when you support them, you support a local business, and you support us at the same time.
0: Yeah. I had a really lovely conversation with Dwight. Garner. Um, Dwight is a beloved New York Times critic and the author of Garner's quotations. Um, and he has just served up um, a new book called The Upstairs Delicatessen on eating, reading, reading about eating and eating while reading
1: (laughs) i love that title so much
0: it's so good it's so good so this is this is a charming emotional memoir one that only dwight garner could write in it he records the voices of great writers and the stories from his life that fill his mind as he moves through the sections of the day and of this book breakfast lunch shopping the occasional nap drinking and dinner (laughs) And I loved this book. It's it's honestly like such a, it's a joyful experience to read. He talks about just kind of, I mean, food and books and it's it's warm and I loved it and I loved my conversation with him um, and I hope you enjoy it.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed editing it and getting to listen to it while I did. So check it out and check him out. 20
2: years before.
0: His clay in Town. folks I am here with someone who has been described to me as a world-class conversationalist and let me tell you I believe it because the upstairs delicatessen which I am very lucky to have an advanced copy of is fabulous and I am so excited for you to meet Dwight Garner, so Dwight. We usually like to have our guests at the very beginning kind of introduce themselves and their connection to the region, and I would like you to do that. But I'm wondering if you could do that using food and experiences with food.
2: Uh, uh, okay, let me try. Um, um, you know, I was born in uh, Fairmont, West Virginia. my My uh, grandfather was a coal miner, Archie, who lived in Mannington and Farmington around there. My mother's family was from Fairmont, um, and I grew up largely in Charleston. But I moved away. You know, I lived in Charleston only till I was eight. Then we moved to Florida, which happens to people in West Virginia sometimes. They, my parents were just tired of the cold weather, I think. And and um, but you know, one of the things that uh, I'm getting off topic already. But one of the things that um, I think a lot about is even though I left when I was eight, my, I feel like my whole personality, my whole intellectual self is formed by being from West Virginia. You know, I think about the state all the time. I read its writers. It's, it's just a part of me that's never left. And I, I feel like um, it's just that a really part and, important part of who I am. And talk about food. I mean, God, you know, my, my family was full of hunters. So we just had venison all the time, you know? And it was pretty funky when you were a kid. Sometimes, you know, I, I didn't always get it until I was a little older. You know, um, they would pull this stuff out of the freezer and fry it up, and, and um, it looked weird. Um, but, and
0: I, I, <laughs> I know, I know that exact image that you, you're talking about. Right,
2: and you know, of course, I grew to love it. Um, you know, and it was the '70s. You know, I, we we ate. You know, I, I, my book is about you know sort of moving to New York, becoming more sophisticated as an eater over time, as we all do. You know. And the world now is much more sophisticated about food in general than it was then. But it's about growing up on my mother, my mother's sort of, you know, butter noodle dishes and beef beef stroganoff and I don't know, you know, um, meatloaf and and all that stuff. And so, it's just uh, my book's about that long trip we all take in our lives from just learning a bit more about the world and searching out different things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I so one of my favorite things about the book. Uh, so, I mean, we have an introduction for you. So folks know that you're, you're a New York Times uh, food critic. And one of the things that I found funny in this book is your discussion on mayonnaise. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I relate to that, the the kind of like use of mayonnaise in everything. And I feel like people, you know, that is that's also an image that just brings back this nostalgia.
2: Oh, exactly. I mean, those mayonnaise and everything. Yeah, I mean, dessert, um, Waldorf salad. Um, you know, I don't know where West Virginia stand. People ask me sometimes. You know, because they ask me if West Virginia is the South. You know, of course it isn't. But you know, southern West Virginia gets pretty close. And I wonder where the Duke's mayonnaise line is drawn. You know, I, I wonder if you know down south West Virginia they 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 sneak in some Dukes down there. But um, yeah. But mayo is the best. You know, and um, you know, I think we all eat more of it. More kids probably than when we're adults. Um, but um, you know, part of it is um. I read about shopping for various kinds of mayonnaise, I read about the kind of things that mayonnaise goes into and it's just a great comfort food, you know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So like you said, this is a this book is a journey through your life, really. I mean, it, it is about it, it's you you kind of take it in sections. Um breakfast, lunch, um naps drinks dinner you know all of these like wonderful very tangible things that we we have every day happen to us we all have those ones that really stand out there's a dinner that stands out there's a drink that stands out and I I know that you've had the opportunity to taste some of the most amazing dishes in the world and I'm wondering if you have any favorite places in Appalachia
2: oh my god Uh, Well, first of all, can we can we pause for one second and say that I it's so weird because I know I know that it's a mark of sophistication about West Virginia to call it Appalachia. But I grew up all my family says Appalachian. I've said it my entire life. And for me, it's still hard to get my mouth around Appalachia. And I I always say it that way in public now because I want to seem cool. But, you know, but to me, it's still
0: you're welcome to say it any way that you would like on this show. (laughs) You you be you.
2: Um, But, you know, I mean, I know there's, there's some good play. I mean, you know, there's, I mean, I, you know, the, the, the hot dog situation in Fairmont, um, it's been famous there for a long time. Um, when I knew it, the place was called Lupo's and I'm forgetting the name now. It's, it's, it's quite famous. And, um, Country Club Bakery has some of the original sort of pepperoni rolls in Fairmont where, where I was born. Um, uh morgantown has some good restaurants and i'm blanking on the name now but one of them really does sort of farm to table in a good way and those people who live in lost creek i forget mike costello i believe has this sort of farm to table restaurant pop-up thing he does there and, and there's good stuff happening i won't lie to listeners west virginia is not the best food state in the world <laughs> you know but but there are people there who really care and are really putting yeah. to it and reviving it and um You know, um, um, there's some good stuff to be found.
0: Yeah. Some of my favorite places right now that I'm that I'm really excited about are in Asheville. Um, I went to a Spanish place, like a a traditional Spanish uh, place there that was just fabulous and they've got some really cool fusion restaurants happening there. I'm I really do think that there is a revival of foodways happening in uh, kind of rural spaces and especially tied to our own our own heritage. You know, salt rising bread is one that really comes to mind. That was almost lost. It was almost a lost art and we're kind of reclaiming these foods that our ancestors had made and, and had been able to, uh, you know, bring to our generations and give them as a gift to us. And so th- I've been really heartened by the excitement around rural foodways recently.
2: No, I agree. You know, Sean Brock, who's in, who's in Tennessee has done a lot of great stuff. He's in Nashville and elsewhere. And yeah, they're, they're, I'm forgetting there's a good, there's a good couple of good come out of Appalachia in recent years. Um, really good ones. And, and, and it's, it's fun to see.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So getting kind of into, into your life, I, you know, it's, it is a story that so many of us have experienced, um, le- being from the region, leaving the region and having it define who we are, like you were talking about. It's, it's, it's a thread that stayed with you in your life. How do you feel your relationship to Appalachia is now? And, and how does it, how does it impact you still?
2: Well, you know, I grew up there. I left when I was eight. I went back all the time. Um, Mary Lou Retton is from my hometown. And her, either her father or her uncle, Marv Retton, Merv Retton ran a basketball camp. So I went back, you know, every summer throughout my childhood. But um, I will say that I have a real, well, first of all, I just, you know, I'm talking about West Virginia mostly here. So forgive me if we're not talking about Appalachia writ large. But, you know, I just, I, you know, the, the vibe of that state is just with me all the time. And intellectually, I mean, I, I really care about its writers. Um, Jane Ann Phillips is a favorite, and Bruce DJ Pancake, and this is writer Tom Croner, and and so many of them, you know, and if you go back, and you re- you really give a shit, you know, I mean, Absalom, Absalom, the Faulkner novel, is about a West Virginian, you know, and it's maybe the best book I think ever written. And, um, you know, the artist Blanche Lazelle Blanche Lazelle and Hazel Dickens, and, you know, um, all these people, and I love them all. And I I listen to them. Um, I'm actually working on a book for down the line, sort of about the inner life, the intellectual history of West Virginia, because there's a lot more than people usually talk about, you know. And um, so I, I, I think about all these things. I'm not sure I have a thesis yet. I'm not sure, excuse me, exactly what I want to say. But I, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm deep into the interior world of West Virginia, intellectually, and emotionally, and musically, and all of that. <clears throat>
0: Yeah. On the intellectual side, I mean, you live in a very intellectual world, um, being a writer for the Times, living in a kind of that that. that elite you know few that many view as as the writers for the times and things like that and especially living in manhattan um where you're calling from i'm wondering do you face any um any preconceived notions about the region Uh, is that work that you have to do as well among your peers
2: you know i wouldn't say any more but for sure in the past sometimes i mean um, the writers, um, it's either two Australians, Robert Hughes, the art critic, and Clive James, the cultural critic, um, were both from Australia, and they described the quote-unquote cultural cringe they were made to feel in London because they were from Australia, you know, which was from this sort of place where they sent, as we all know, this sort of convicts, and and um, yes, West Virginians are, are you know, um, West. There you don't meet many West Virginians in New York City. Uh, I will say that, you um, there's a little group of us maybe eight to ten in the media we meet for drinks like i don't know we haven't done it recently but we've done it five or six times and we'll probably do it again soon uh, i and,
0: love that yeah just,
2: so you know we'll, we'll send out invitations if anybody wants to come to the next one but um but you know not really i mean you know you don't meet a lot of people in the new york times west virginia but you know, a lot of people there i mean you know, you walk you walk into the New York Times and you meet a lot of people from Harvard and Yale and Brown and, 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 and Princeton, for sure. But, you know, a, a lot of people there come from, quote unquote, anywhere USA as well, you know. And here we are in New York. And as my aunt used to say, she used to say, Dwight, you live in a tree, meaning like my life seems crazy to her sometimes, you know. And, you know, but people here live in trees, but they mostly climb them. You know, these trees are climbable, you know, and um, not everyone is born, you know, to to wealth and privilege. And um, the great thing about art and culture is that, you know, um, um, anyone can can give it a shot and, and try to make it, you know.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and the reverse of that, I, I really like what you said. You know, there are lots of things that that. "Quote unquote," city people think about country people, but there are also a lot of things that country people think about city people, um, and and leaving your home. And I think that you know that what you were saying that your mom says she can't uh, kind of understand the world that you're living in. And sometimes, how do you how do you bring that back um, and and make it so accessible to an average reader in your book? Because I feel like that really shines through in the text is the the understanding that people in food in music and culture come from so many different places and it's really a book about loving life and humanity and so there's something really beautiful about that and i'd love for you to dive into your thoughts surrounding that
2: yeah you sort of picked up on the key point in the book really i mean i, I think the thing i love most in people that i meet and are friends and are two things really i mean a sense of just being game things just a game for life you know just like you know um be present, you know, and, and, but B, I would think, I, I would say is um, curiosity. All right. And I feel lucky that I grew up, my family, my dad did pretty well. He was a coal miner's son, but he went to law school at University of West Virginia Law School and, uh, excuse me, West Virginia University Law School. And, um, and we moved to Florida. He did well in his career. You know, I had orthodontia and tennis lessons, you know, I don't, I, you know, I wasn't, we weren't poor, but we didn't have a, uh, there weren't books in the house, you know, it wasn't a cultural family. And so this was something that I had to find on my own. And when you're a young reader, like being a young listener to music or or, or an eater, um, you, you discover, um, you know, I, I don't know, maybe kids books. Then maybe maybe Stephen King, you know, and like, oh, Stephen King is so great. And then you keep climbing this ladder, you know, or at least I did. And, and he leads you to this and to this before long you're reading Toni Morrison and, and, um, and Faulkner. Uh, and ditto with um, music, you know, you, you Elton John's great, I still love him, but, you know, when I was really little kid, Elton John was the, the whole world. And then you find out, you know, there are many people who are maybe, I would say, better than him, right, even though he's great. And um, food is the same way. You know, I was I was a big reader when I was a kid, and I would be reading these books, and I'd be like, what the hell is an Escar- escargot? Who is eating snail out there, you know? And not just snail. Um you know, I didn't know what real maple syrup was until I, until I was maybe 21. I mean, I, I thought, you know, I, it's not called Enchimime anymore. It's a different name, but, but I, I just thought that the stuff that came on the table was the real, did I met someone who's like, no, 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 try this. This is, this is actual maple syrup. This isn't stuff they've made to look brown and no knock on that. I, I eat that too, but, but it, it's just about a constant process of discovery in life, I think is, is always like what, why else be alive, you know?
0: Yeah. I, I want to, talk more about that Let, <clears throat> the being alive there's so much horror in our world right now and, and and so many things to care about there's there is all kinds of of issue fatigue and and you know people are becoming just exhausted and when you feel exhausted what are those things You know, like even if you don't have access to a Michelin star restaurant, what are the things that you find bring you that joy that you think that other people might benefit from as well? Something that maybe you've come across that that helps you through hard times.
2: That's a really good question um one of my favorite novelists is the british author iris murdoch and she said the secret to life And i love this line is continuous small treats right you have to be super rich to eat really well in this world you know one of the reasons i love i love calvin trillin's writing he wrote for the new yorker and he's still around but his his books in the 70s and 80s about american food were really important to me and what's great about trillin is that he wasn't writing about fancy stuff it wasn't like canals and oysters he wrote about sort of um where to find, um, the best fried chicken and the best like Cajun sausage, and where to find um um I don't know, um I'm trying to think what else he wrote about, but everything, you know, and, and it was just really basic Americana ribs. and he would he wrote that most of us in America kind of scorn that kind of food like a visitor comes and we're going to take the visitor to the stupid quote-unquote fancy french restaurant even though we're even though we're living near the best ribs in the world because we think that's fancy when we have to wake up to the stuff the vernacular food that's all around us and that's what i'm talking about when i talk about the great hot dog culture you know in fairmont where i was born and uh, so anyway in new york you know I, i eat some fancy meals sometimes but i'm not rich you know and um The best meals in New York are a lot of them in Chinese restaurants the Korean restaurants and they're inexpensive in Mexican restaurants and and pastrami, you know, and um, anyway, it's just the best things are not the most expensive things. I mean, you know, a few of them are a couple. No one's going to, you know, but um, I don't know, man, you can eat really well without spending a lot of money, I think.
0: What is your most controversial food opinion?
2: (laughs) Oh, my God. This is kind of a west virginia thing i mean i i i attracted the scorn of the entire world at least a little bit when i wrote about peanut butter and pickle sandwiches this was back in 2012 okay and my father grew up eating these things and he's told me they got him through law school because they're inexpensive and what's great about them is they're always in the house right you know you know if you don't have anything peanut butter and pickles is usually there and some bread okay and i thought they were disgusting until i was maybe 30. And then I really got into them. I realized now that they're completely great if you make them the right way. Even make them the wrong way, they're pretty good. <laughs> but I wrote about it, you know, 12 years ago now or, thir- or 11 years ago, and people really were grossed out. And the t- my own newspaper kind of um, 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 did me a dirty trick by printing this really horrible picture of the sandwich, you know, sort of like squishy Wonder Bread and horrible pickles. It just looked like, you know, it just looked really. Blah. And, um, but um, ever since the world has kind of caught up to peanut butter and pickle, people have written a lot about it now. And I, you know, it's actually a sophisticated sandwich. I mean, it's, it has a flavor profile that's similar to satays and moles and other cultures do this kind of sour, sweet peanut buttery thing. And it, it, I think it's, but that, that's it. Yeah, it, probably if I ever get an obituary, the peanut butter and pickle sandwich will probably-
0: you're the, Yeah, uh, you're the peanut butter and pickle guy. <laughs> so, what is, so what is the right way to make one? You know, if it's if it's not the Wonder Bread one. Well,
2: I mean, you can do it any which way, but I like to use good bread, like just good sourdough, good hearty wheat, something with the best bread you can find that's sliced bread. And uh, I toast it, a um, little bit of uh, good peanut butter, define good peanut butter how you will. And then I usually take... From the stuff that's available easily, I like Clausen's because they're really crispy. They're the ones in the refrigerated aisle and they're just crispier than the other kind that you buy off the shelf.
0: Yeah. They're just like, they're superior, period. Yeah. Yeah. Way
2: better. Of course, I live in, (laughs) this is serious pickle culture here. You know, Uh, a lot of of really brilliant Jewish thought has gone into the pickle and it's all here. Yes. (laughs) And um, so I buy all kinds, but I like more pickle now than peanut butter. So I take a big pickle, slice it in half and put the two sides face down as if they're like dead bodies facing down on top of the uh, (laughs) slice of of bread with the peanut butter, you know, and I probably have that at least once or twice a week. And, you know, my dad ate them because they were just, you know, cheap, but I eat them because they're great.
0: Yeah, that's one of the things that I have found to be so interesting in the food culture that we're seeing like on TikTok is these kind of low budget, really satisfying, quick and easy meals. Um, But there's also this TikTok culture of try this weird food. And so one of the ones that really stuck out to me recently was uh, fruit roll-ups and ice cream. And it's yeah it's, it's it seems like kind of a wild and crazy thing but are are you on tiktok are you seeing this kind of like revolution in in how we're looking at food
2: yes i love tiktok um you know and and the reason i love it is that if you're curious i mean this is sort of where the conversation of the culture is happening now this is where young people are defining who we are as a people is on tiktok you know and i don't really care about the dance move i'm I mean, i'm an old i'm an old I'm an old dude. I'm 58, but you know, I, it's not my culture. The you know, um, the K-pop and all. But I, I care, but it's not my world. But um, but just the, all the, converse, the conversation about food and about music and um, everything is great. And um, and I have a few favorites that I like. And there's some people even doing some stuff that I belong to this organization. It, I read about this briefly in my book called the Organ Meat Society. And it's about 15 of us. We go out once a month or so and eat organ meat. You know, we eat. Uh, liver and kidneys and tripe and brains and and you know testicles and and anyway it's really fun and um there is some of that too on TikTok that I found and anyway I I'm a TikTok fan I mean I try to limit myself to twenty minutes a day or so but yeah
0: I feel like that's a good rule for all of us we <laughs> should be doing that I have significantly cut back since I had a baby though <laughs> um I want to turn from food and into music. Um, I was really impressed and excited about some of the mentions of music in your book. And I'm wondering if there are any artists that are inspiring you right now. Oh
2: God, who right now? I mean, you know, I I, I take my kids to all these dad rock shows because all the bands I love, you know, people people have said that the music that you sort of fell in love to and first started being interested in the opposite sex and meet your partner, you want to hear that music the rest of your life, right? And so I take my kids to this stuff like, you know, Sunvolt and Dinosaur Jr. and all these acts that were like 1990, 89 to 93, because I want them to see them. But now I take my kids and these guys are all old and look like me. They have white hair and they're half bald. Anyway, so my kids don't really get it. But I keep up, you know, I keep up with um, alternative country in a big way. You know, I was really early i was into jason isbell really early i wrote the first big profile of him in 2014 2014 yeah and um what am i listening to um you know i go back and forth all over the it's not so much that it's new stuff but i just like to move around you know Um, and I've, i've there's a guy from west virginia i recommend highly his name is william matheny and he is from mannington where my grandfather lived and his music is very good he's been written up in rolling stone a few times and I just saw yeah. him at, uh, at the Mercury Lounge here in New York, and this guy John R. Miller from from West Virginia is a genius. Um, he has a song I can't remember the name now, but but the the chorus goes, "I'm drinking motor oil and cursing at the setting sun." That's like the chorus, and it's the best song. So go find.
0: I love that because yeah. <laughs> we all we all know that we've had motor oil coffee before. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what does that mean?
0: <laughs> just, my yeah so I I mean my my the motor oil coffee that that I think of is like when going camping with papa and he just throw all the grinds in the percolator and just it it would come out thick and it's got the grind and yeah I that that really brings up some memories there um well I I also finally um we food and music and finally I want to get to literature because it plays a really big role in in your book. Um and I love that we've already talked about some West Virginia authors and that's that's so exciting because I think that there are really talented awesome writers coming out of uh coming out of out of Appalachia. And I'm I'm curious about your experience you know with other writers trying to make it because I think that that is one of the biggest Hurdles is access, and so you know. What are some of the the authors that have stood out to you, or that you've maybe even maybe you've even pulled them out of out of the ground and, and helped them take off?
2: You mean just writers in general? Yeah. Oh, God, you know, it's, it's, I've reviewed so many people; it's hard to say. But there's a new generation of female writers who are very smart and very weird and very funny and very intellectual, like Sheila Hetty and Otesha Mosfegh and um, a few uh, Nell Zink in that sort of range. And this is sort of the generation that I grew up writing about. Mm-hmm. Um, but having said that, I review all kinds of things. So I love reviewing biography uh, and memoir and uh, books of letters. And I often feel like my favorite books aren't necessarily in the standard format. So not just a novel or a or work of history. I love, I love diary. I love books of diaries. You know, matter of fact, I'm trying to find a really good diary from anyone in West Virginia. I mean, like a coal miner, and I can't find any. So, if any listener has an idea. Um, but I love reading that kind of thing. <clears throat> um, and you know, it's it's the greatest thrill as a critic when you discover someone new. You know, um, and you know, it only happens every so often. But it is it is the best thing about the job. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's just, you know, it's week in, week out. Just I only get to review, I review a book a week. And yeah. it might seem like a lot, but there are thousands of books published every year. And I get to review just, you know, a handful a month. So it's hard.
0: Yeah. Well, um, is there anything else that you'd like to hit on? I I this has been such a fascinating conversation for me. I I'm thrilled to have you on the show is there anything else that that we we could help out with I mean we're going to definitely go out and get this book um it's worth it it's a lot of fun it's just the book itself is just a joy um but is there anything else that you'd like to talk about
2: boy I don't know I feel like this has been so much fun I feel like we we sort of did it um you know I mean I, I I'm the kind of person who I can talk about food all day and all night, you know, and, and, you know, um, um, let's, let's talk about dinner. What are you having for dinner?
0: What am I having for dinner? Oh, okay. So we're talking on a Friday. Uh, we're a Jewish family. So we're having Shabbat dinner. I'm, I'm actually making challah in my kitchen right now. It's rising. My God. Yeah, I I do it every Friday. So we'll have homemade challah. um, And I'm thinking about doing some, I got some like interesting noodles and making like a butter and tomato sauce. So something simple, easy. We have a five month old, so I can't, can't put a lot of work into it. Um, But we'll just have like a a Shabbat dinner together. And um, really the main thing for me is good bread.
2: I'm so glad I asked. You? A cool answer. Oh, thank um, you. Well, <laughs> the answer is a sad guy answer because my wife is away for four months. She's gone to the South Pole. This is crazy. But she signed up to be a baker there and she's actually like there now. So it's nuts. You can follow her Substack. stack. So cool. Um, anyway, but she's gone, right? And she's the, she cooks, she's a serious uh, cook and I'm not that great. So I'm now looking in the freezer going, what did she leave me, you know? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> so anyway it's a Friday night I don't know I've been out a few nights this week I might just stay home and fix something out of the freezer so that's my answer sad as it is
0: (laughs) well you know it honestly it humanizes you that's what I will say is that sometimes critics can seem very intangible and so to know that you also have a make it work dinner is like Perfect. <laughs>
2: um, I, will, I will make two martinis first and some nice cheese and crackers, you know, but but you know, then it's then it's Larry David show and uh, some lasagna out of the freezer. So I anyway. love
0: that. Well, Dwight, I, I so appreciate this conversation. I think folks are going to absolutely love it. Um, And thank you so much for your generosity of spirit. You just brought such a, an amazing quality to this interview. And I just very much appreciate you.
2: Well, thank you. I love your podcast. So best of luck.
0: Thank you, and we'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. told everyone that was willing Steady work would be their reward So they started making paper
2: Where the Pigeon River falls. But this ain't just another paper town On a random riverside she was built with blood, sweat, and tears, and a whole lot of pride From the mountains and the farmlands, around the smokestack she has grown This ain't just another paper town, it's the one that I call
1: home All right, Under the Radar. We're back in Morgantown, West Virginia, West Virginia University. We stay under the radar because, look, for, for a hot minute there, For a couple, like three weeks, very above the radar, WVU and their budget crisis, which if you don't remember, there's something in the hole of like 43 million and had to cut a bunch of staff. We didn't have to. Uh, There certainly were other solutions, but we're not going to get into that right now. Either way, lots of people lost their jobs. Uh, Students lost their majors. If you want to know more about it, you can go back and listen to some of our more recent episodes on it. We did a whole thing called uh, E. Gordon Grift or whatever like that. Anyway. Point being, uh, it lays the foundation for this. New stuff happening, though. In fact, a listener brought this up to us in an Instagram DM. I don't want to read their name because I'm not sure if they want that shared just for privacy purposes. Not that they've shared anything, you know, like crazy. It's just they shared an article and told us about it. Yeah. Uh, But anyway, trying to be respectful. Uh, So... One of the heads of... Let me just restart that. Heads have actually begun to roll from the administration. Unfortunately, though, it is not the university president's E. Gordon nuts. Oh. He is still there. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I had to do it.
0: It's a huge bummer because uh, he needs to go. He would be he would be first voted off the island if it were up to the students.
1: And it should be at this point. I, I, egordon Gordon he just needs to retire hard stop because it seems like he's just had a war path of turning universities into shit but this guy rob alsup who we've actually mentioned i think a couple times before he was wvu's vice president for strategic initiatives i have no idea what the hell that even means (laughs) uh announced plans to leave the university early next year it was super weird plans because he's been in this position for six years we'll step down from it november 18th so like two-ish weeks from now yeah then become a quote unquote special advisor to Igor e. Dzhig through the end of January.
0: Hmm,
1: I have no idea why. Hmm. There, I'm sure there's some whatever reason. Maybe it's nefarious. Maybe it's not. I don't care. Uh, I think that they needed to show they need to get rid of somebody, and Rob Alsop, not the best guy on the record, as you'll find <laughs> out in a minute uh also just like just not he needs a pr class which is wild because he was the chief of staff to a united states senator for a hot minute
0: Oof. okay what did he do you gotta tell me
1: well first of all i i don't know if you ever saw this it was like a it didn't go viral but it went like west virginia viral Mm -hmm. it was this image of him standing in front of a powerpoint that was being projected on a wall i think during a faculty senate meeting that said like the only text on the powerpoint was rumors of our demise have been greatly exaggerated I'm just like. Did anybody think about this before doing that?
0: No, they did. clearly no. nobody, nobody in that administration thinks about anything before just like absolutely laying their dicks on the table.
1: <laughs> no, no, Egordon is doing bong rips on a private plane, paid for by tuition dollars, probably. Yeah. Pro- I say probably,
0: probably. I
1: don't-, I don't know for sure. Don't Allegedly. sue. He is probably not like he has more money than me. He can sue us. No, we don't think that. Okay, Uh, (laughs) so I do like Rob Alsop's, you know, honestly, I like his honesty in some instances. I Don't at me for that either. I'm saying it for this very specific quote that I'm going to. He was, uh, this is at a faculty senate meeting in June of this year where he said, and I quote, and actually let me back up, this is in response to the budget crisis for those of you who don't remember. Like there's a whole thing, it's like $45 million in debt. He said, quote, I wish I had seen around corners better or seen things differently two years ago. Uh, and I've done a lot of soul searching over the past several months as it relates to how I can do a better job. Alsip also shared that someone recently told him that if he were in the private sector, he might be out of a job because he let the budget problem snowball before taking action.
0: Yikes, buddy. So he admitted to fucking yeah, up. Which, like, totally. No, I mean... in
1: Ownership is important. Right.
0: I mean, that's that's like good behavior, but at the same time, like, <laughs> yeah, and and those quotes are pretty brutal to just give to the media about yourself.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I applaud him for the self-awareness. Uh, am I saying he did great? No, not at all. But he's definitely doing better <laughs> in that department than Igor and Guy, who's like, I don't know, guys.
0: Yeah, he's still walking around campus in his stupid fucking bow tie. Yeah, taking pictures out, like with candy. the mascot. Yeah, he's uh nothing. Nothing appears to have have chafed him at all.
1: No, nothing. No, he's. I mean, he's like old. He's probably just collecting his checks and just kicking it to retirement.
0: Teflon gee. Gi- what's a we could? What's a non? What's something that rhymes with gee that's nonstick?
1: E. Elastic,
0: <laughs> perfect. I don't know. Elasticy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: out of, I'm out of creativity. Yeah, we're at the end of our, the day our brains are out.
0: our brains are done for this week.
1: <laughs> Sadly, but but we're done actually with this episode. It was a good one. Mm-hmm. I I enjoyed it very much. If you're in Ohio, get out and vote. And if you've already voted, get somebody else to go vote, because. Look, I mean, abortions important, weeds important. Yeah. Go out and do your goddamn civic duty. And I'm proud of you for doing it cuz I know if you're listening to this, you're going to go do it yeah. if you haven't already.
0: Uh, yeah, we believe in you. We know that our listeners are not only the best people in the world, they're also the most civically engaged. So.
1: Absolutely. Love you. Love you guys. <laughs> do it. Make us proud. Make mom and dad proud. <laughs> All right. We'll see you later. None of the views expressed on this show are reflective of the views of either Chuck or Callie's employers, and they never, ever will be. They are simply our opinions expressed on.